You know, over the last however many days now, weeks, a lot of people, Christians, have just really, I don't know, um, they're convinced all is lost, gloom and doom, so on and so forth. That's not true. And I know some would say, how can you say that? Well, it's pretty easy. You know, that's not true. But it's not true. And this afternoon, I was praying about the service tonight. The Lord began ministering to me about a story in the Old Testament. And He used it to give us, the body of Christ, a heads up on what we're supposed to be doing here. And you'll understand as we go through this. So turn to Genesis chapter 30. We're going to be in Genesis, really, I think, the entire evening, reading quite a bit of Scripture. Genesis chapter 30. Now, you remember uh, there was a fellow named Abraham. And he had a son named Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. Well, Jacob had two wives, Rachel and Leah. And Rachel and Leah started having children. (laughs) You know, when you read the story, it's almost like they were having a contest. You know, which one could have the most babies? Well, we pick this up in Genesis chapter 30, verse 22. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. Called his name Joseph. Now turn over to chapter 37. Now, what's happened between what we read and what we see here in chapter 37? Some years have passed. Joseph has gotten older. And we pick it up in verse 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old. So we have 17 years that have passed since Genesis chapter 30. And Joseph, uh, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. Now his brothers, they were all older. He was like the the baby of the family. So it says here that uh, he was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now, Israel, or Joseph, loved Joseph, or or Jacob, Israel and Jacob, same person. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now, uh, this whole aspect of the coat of many colors, it's not simply that he had a pretty coat. But that symbolized favor, and it implied a level of authority. Well, it says that um, 
Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. I don't even know for sure what the evil report was, the completeness of it. I'm not sure. We could speculate, but really I'm not sure. Well, he has this coat of many colors. And verse 4, when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him, they were jealous, and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. Now, before we go any further, what we're getting ready to read is the dream that he told his brothers that caused his brothers to hate him even more. Now, there's no way Joseph did not know that his brothers didn't like him. And how many of you remember that song by Kenny Rogers? you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Okay, well, Joseph, he should have held and, and folded right here. <laughs> he shouldn't have said this. But I'm guessing, you know, he didn't think it was any big deal or, you know, in his innocence. But nevertheless, he dreams a dream, tells it to his brothers. And he says, verse 6, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brothers, brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream. And behold, told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him. But his, his father observed the saying. In other words, his father wasn't exactly happy about it. But at the same time, he kind of sits back and thinks, Okay, what's going on here? Why do you have this dream? Well, Verse 12. Oh, and, and hold on. Before we go any further. We know the end of the story. Okay. So we know that this was a prophetic dream. We know it. Now, they kind of, they knew what it represented, but they didn't see it as a prophetic dream from God. They just saw it as some, you know, our punk little brother. You know, who does he think he is? Now, let me just pass this along to you. When God gives you something, use wisdom when it comes to who you tell. Because, folks, there are people out there, they are not going to appreciate what God gives you. And sometimes, He'll want you to tell the people who aren't going to appreciate it. That's happened to me more than once. Well, you just do it. You just be obedient, but be prepared. Be prepared. I remember, um, you know, well, over the years, yeah, I've taken some backlash for things. And I remember one time a few years back, you know, God was dealing with me about it. You know, just, you got to deal with this. You got to let it go. You know, don't let it get to you because it's easy, man. When people are calling you names and they're telling you you can't hear from God, and, I mean, and on and on. And so he told me that, and then kind of later on he followed up when an incident happened, another one. 
And he's basically what he said to me was, you need to be prepared because more is coming. I said, okay. Well, that kind of helped me out because then since that time, the more has come. It's like, yeah, you were right. <laughs> more is coming. You, you got to learn, guys, and that's a battle with the emotions, but you've got to learn to not, not carry it. Don't do it. Well, in verse 12, his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here I am. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed the flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come, now therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Now, you've got to be really upset with somebody to want to do that, especially your own family member. Well, Reuben, verse 21, Reuben heard it. Thank God for Reuben. And he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that in the wilderness, that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. So Reuben, he's, he's thinking pretty quickly here. He says, Okay, they want to kill him and throw him in a pit. So, uh, alright guys, look, don't kill him. Alright, don't kill him. Just, yeah, just go ahead and throw him in the pit. You know, just throw him in the pit. Reuben's thinking, and I'll be able to come back, get him out later, and take him back home. Well, it came to pass, verse 23, when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes, and now stop right there. They mugged the guy. They took his coat off. They threw him in a pit. Then they cooked dinner. That's weird. That's just plain old weird. Well, here they are eating. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh going to carry it down to Egypt. Now, let me just give you a little background here. I did some research on this and come to find out where this happened was a main trading route from where they were into Egypt, where a lot of people took, you know, uh, spicery, <laughs> balm and myrrh and so forth. It was a trade route. Now, how many of you remember who the Ishmaelites are? Can't remember? Abraham had Isaac, but he also had who? Ishmael. The Ishmaelites are their distant relatives. Well, Judah, verse 26, said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, 
and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned to his brethren and said, The child is not, and whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat. Now, that tells you right, they did this when Reuben wasn't around. Where did he go? I don't know. But when he got back, you know, Joseph's gone. My my plan has been foiled. Guys, what have you done? Well, we sold him to the Ishmaelites. And I, I'm sure right about that moment, man, you know, Reuben, he gets that sick feeling in the pit of his stomach. It's like, what are we going to do now? Well, it says, verse 31, They took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. So now in this passage it talks about both Ishmaelites and Midianites. Well, here's what was going on at that time. The Ishmaelites and the Midianites sometimes traveled together when they were conducting their trade on the way, you know, they go to Egypt and whatever and they come back, in part because their safety in numbers. You never knew what kind of scalawags you were going to run into on the way. So that's why it's talking about both Ishmaelites and Midianites. And you'll notice here it says that um, when they get to Egypt, they sell Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, a captain of the guard. So Potiphar is a high-ranking soldier in, uh, well within the structure of the governmental order and military and so forth of, uh, of Egypt. Now jump over to chapter 39. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had put, his, put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught what he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. All right, do you see what's happening here? Pharaoh has basically given Joseph the key to the house, the key to the barn, the key to the, to the, whatever he had there, you know, the garage. I mean, <laughs> just, 
He gave him, handed everything over to him, and then just went about his, you know, Potiphar business, whatever that was. And it says in verse 6, Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. Now, how old was Joseph when we first started reading all this? 17 years old, remember? Now, he's not a whole lot older than 17 at this point. He might be 19, might be 20. Now, we're not really sure. Well, we continue here in verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, he wasn't as concerned with what Potiphar might do. He was concerned about how God would see this. Well, verse 10, it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. I mean, can you imagine this? I mean, he must have been some good looking guy. I mean, kind of like me, I guess. I don't know. And who knows, I mean, she might have been good looking too. And she's, I mean, buddy, she's got her makeup on, her false eyelashes and everything else, and wearing her Chanel number five. I mean, she's, she's coming after him. Well, it came to pass, verse 11, about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Okay, you need to learn from that. There are a lot of pastors that need to learn from this. When a woman's coming on to you, pack it up and run. And I mean, get out of town. Not literally, but don't even let that happen. And if you, those of you here, those of you watching, if you're even thinking of going into ministry, you don't ever, 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 ever meet with a woman who's not your wife, meet with her in private. You don't do that. Don't you ever do that. You hear me? Those of you in this church, don't you ever do that. Don't ever do it. Because you and I both know stuff can happen. And if it doesn't happen, you can be accused of it, as we will see when we continue reading. Verse 13, it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me. And I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and, and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard these words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, or the warden. 
And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Man, that's pretty cool. You know, you get thrown into prison, and it's not long before the warden realizes, oh wow, there's something really special about this guy. I can trust him. He's not like the other prisoners. And so the warden basically, you know, promotes him to a prisoner overseeing the prisoner. Come on, seriously? But that's what's happening. Well, we're not going to get into this in chapter 40, but what happened in chapter 40? Uh, the uh, Well, in, in verse 1 it says, It came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt, and Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers, and against the chief of the bakers. So he throws them in prison where Joseph is overseeing. And uh, some time passes. Well, the baker and the butler have dreams. And Joseph interprets those dreams, and uh, he tells the one, the, uh, oh, which one was it? The butler. Well, was gonna, well, he tells the butler what's going to happen to him, and he tells the, the baker what's going to happen to him. And he told the baker, you're going to die. Well, sure enough, the baker died, and he told the butler, well, you're going to be released. And sure enough, the butler was released and restored back into his position with Pharaoh. Well, we look in chapter 41. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. Now, what had happened was this. Here's why it says two full years. Because Joseph told the butler, you're going to be restored. And when you get restored, please put in a good word for me to Pharaoh. All right? Let him know what's going on here and let him know about the dream, so on and so forth. And the butler said, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. Well, he gets restored. But he forgets to say anything. Two years goes by. And Pharaoh has this dream. Well, actually, he has a couple of dreams. And Pharaoh says, man, what's all this about? And so he calls for people to help give him the interpretation. They couldn't give him the interpretation and so on. And then the butler, he says, oh, wait a minute, Pharaoh. Hold on. You remember back when you got really mad at me and the baker? And you threw us both in, in prison? And uh, there was this guy in prison who helped the baker and me understand these dreams we had. Well, he, he told the baker that you were going to kill him and have his head chopped off. And that's what you did. And he told me that uh, you were going to restore me into my position, and that's what you did. You know, Pharaoh, I tell you, if you get this guy Joseph and have him stand before you, he might be able to give you the interpretation. Well, Pharaoh called Joseph. In fact, verse 14, it says, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And he cleans up. <laughs> and uh, Pharaoh starts talking to him. He says, all right, look, I've had these dreams here. And he begins explaining the dreams. And he says, Joseph, I don't know what they mean. What's going on? Well, you pick it up in verse 25. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he's about to do. 
The seven good kind or good cows are seven years, and the seven good years of corn are seven years. The dream is one. It's not two separate dreams the way it appears. It's actually two dreams talking about one thing. And he said in verse uh, 27, And the seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous. And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land to take up a fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. Do you realize what he's talking about? Implementing a 20% tax, a fifth part. That's what this is. He's saying increase the taxes on the people for seven years. Now, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of those people didn't like that. I mean, would you like it if your taxes were increased by 20%? I trow not. So anyway, that's that's what uh, Joseph said to do. And, and he says, and let them, verse 35, gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, the land that the land perish not through the famine. Well, the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. So Joseph stands there and he, he's telling all of this. And Pharaoh is hearing this and, you know, he's got that look on his face like, yeah, this makes sense. Uh, yeah, that... Your interpretation of the dream makes sense. And I'm sure, like like people would do, he's kind of looking at his advisors, and they're like, yeah. And then the people there standing around says, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. That's, yeah, yeah, Pharaoh, all right, yeah. Well, the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, the eyes of his servants. And Pharaoh, verse 38, said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? In other words, Pharaoh's looking at all the people in the court, and he's saying, "Can we? Find, is there anybody like this guy? I mean, none of you could help out. Is there anybody like him? And Pharaoh said, verse 39 to Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. Man, I, this, when I read this, it's like, this is so cool. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. Now stop right there for a moment. Back in those days, the ring was extremely important. And whoever was in charge, you know, king, pharaoh, whatever, 
this ring symbolized who they were. For that person in leadership to take the ring off his finger and give it to somebody else, it was saying, you're my equal, I'm just a little step above you because I am the Pharaoh. Now put yourself there in the court that day as Pharaoh's doing this. Can you imagine people's eyes were bugging out, gasping? And I'm sure there might have been some people there kind of thinking, I thought I was supposed to be number two. I thought I was going to get promoted. But see, back in those days, when somebody else got promoted, you didn't say anything. Because if you did, you know, off with their heads. (laughs) That's just the way it was. You just rejoiced, even though on the inside you're crying. (laughs) And the the magnitude of this is not conveyed in Scripture. But Joseph now is the number two man in all of Egypt. Well, you look at it here, continuing, you know, in verse 42, gives him the ring, arrayed him in vestures of fine linen, put a gold chain about his neck. And he, Pharaoh, made him, Joseph, to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee! And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And what that means is this. When Joseph would go out in this chariot, he was dressed in the royal apparel, but there were people that went in front of the chariot, and as they would go in front of the chariot through the streets, they'd be yelling, bow the knee, bow the knee, and people would turn and look, and they would see, here comes number two, and everybody had to bow their knee. And, you know, not worship, but acknowledge, here he comes. You you don't stand up to this guy. Well, Pharaoh said, verse 44, Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, whatever that is, and he gave him, gave him a wife. You know. Um, anyway, verse, and it says here, and Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. So in other words, Joseph has been appointed to this position, and now he goes on a tour of the land. Two reasons. Number one, to establish himself, let people know who he is. Number two, get things set in order for this 20% tax to begin gathering. And, and really letting people know, why are we having to pay the extra 20%? What's going on? There's a famine coming. What do you mean a famine's coming? Look, God has shown us there's a famine coming. What do you mean God has shown? There would have been some people that believe, some people that, I mean, you know how people are, guys. So he's going around doing all of this, but now look, in verse 40, um, verse 46. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. He's 30 years old. Now, we, we met him earlier, remember? He's 17. So, in 13 years, this is what's happened. He's 30 years old. And he's the number two man in Egypt. Do you understand? If something had happened to Pharaoh... And, and he didn't have any sons, Joseph would have stepped into being Pharaoh over Egypt. But that's how incredible this story is. Well, what happened after this? Over the seven years, they start, uh, the people are bringing in the, the grain. And it's being stored in uh, towers and, you know, whatever kind of structures they used back then. 
So for seven years this is happening, and there's a great abundance being stored up. Well, after the seven years, the famine hits. And uh, pretty soon, and I don't know how long it was, but the people start running out of food at home. So they go to Egypt, you know, they go to the government, we need help. And the government says, Joseph, you know, and whoever was under him, they tell him, say, okay, this is why we were collected. We told you guys this was coming. So they begin to distribute this corn, but people were buying it. You know, the, this food, people were buying it. Then it got to the point to where people are starting to run out of money. They start signing over property and homes and all this. This is, this is part of the reason Egypt became such a powerful nation at that time. Because the people were basically signing over everything just to get some food. Well, in the area where Joseph's family lived, Jacob and the other brothers and so forth, they too were hit by this famine. Well, one night they're sitting around a campfire. Now, I'm improvising here, okay? They're improvi- I'm improvising this story. They're sitting around, they're talking, the, the boys and the families and all, they're talking to uh, Jacob. And they're saying, you know, we heard that there's food there in Egypt. Jacob said, yeah, I heard that too. Uh, why don't you go see if you can get some? So they go to Egypt. And when they get there, they appear before Joseph. Now, they don't recognize Joseph, which tells me that, remember, He's 30 years old when this took place, when he was named, you know, second in command. Now, the seven years of plenty have come and gone. He's now 37. So we're into the seven years of famine. Joseph was 17 when all this started. So now he's over 40 years old. So 23 plus years have passed. He's changed enough plus... He's in, you know, his his pharaoh uniform. (laughs) And uh, they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. Well, it it really gets to him. And, you know, you're all aware of the story. He, uh, you know, long story short, he ends up bringing his dad and the family back to Egypt. And uh, when they get there, Joseph introduces them to Pharaoh. Now, that's pretty cool. I mean, how many of us could ever be introduced to the president? You know what I'm saying? But here, the family, they get to, they're standing before Pharaoh. And you can just imagine what's going on. You know, in their minds, they're like, oh my goodness, we're standing before Pharaoh. This, this is the Pharaoh. And you know, another thing, you gotta wonder, when when Pharaoh made Joseph the number two person in all of Egypt, I just wonder what was going through the mind of Potiphar's wife. <laughs> because he easily, easily could have brought her in and had her stand in front of whoever and just ask her, tell us once again what it was I did to you. And she knew, man, if she lied, that was it. Well, well, that didn't happen. Now, to me, that is a testimony to Joseph. He could have gotten revenge big time on her, but he didn't. 
he let it go. Boy, there's a lesson. So anyway, here this famine. Joseph's family is back. Uh, they're there in Egypt. And uh, Pharaoh says, all right, look, I'm going to let your family have the best of the land. And they're going to all be able to live there and they'll be provided for. And, and on and on it goes. Well, you look over in Genesis chapter 50. And in Genesis chapter 50, Jacob dies. And when Jacob died, his fathers got, or his brothers got really concerned. If you pick it up in verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy children and their sin. For they did evil; un they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. The dream has come to pass big time. But what's interesting, it says that Joseph wept. The reason he wept was because it was breaking his heart that they thought he was going to get revenge on them. And Joseph, verse 19, said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now let's think about this. Over the years, when I've heard people talk about this story, it's been presented to me in a way that, and, and maybe the people preaching it didn't mean it to come across like this, but it came across in a way that is not really confirmed by Scripture. Now, here's what I mean. Joseph's brothers did him wrong. But not all the brothers really wanted to do him wrong. Nevertheless, they did him wrong. They sold him into slavery. wonder what they did with the money. <laughs> but they sold him into slavery. However, his faithfulness to God resulted in him being promoted to overseer concerning everything in Potiphar's life. In other words, he was sold into slavery, but it wasn't a hard life. He had it easy. Once Potiphar, I don't know how long it took, but once Potiphar figured out, this young kid, man, he's got something going. Everything he does, it works out. You know, I think I'm going to let him oversee this. Or I think I'm also going to let him handle this. And so as time went on, it ended up with Potiphar gave him everything. Everything. So it wasn't like Joseph was walking around, you know, shackled in some chamber, out doing hard labor in the hot sun. He had it easy. His life was smooth. He had decent clothing. He had a, a, a great place to live, to sleep. He had great food. Everything was fine. It was wonderful. 
And then Potiphar's wife, well, she gets to lusting. She lied. And Joseph ends up being put in prison. Well, at first, that didn't go too well. I mean, you know, he wasn't, who would have liked that? But, what? and we don't have a whole lot of detail here. But there was something about Joseph that caught the eye of the warden. And it was Joseph's faithfulness to God which resulted in the warden promoting him to the place of being over all the prisoners. All the prisoners answered to Joseph, and Joseph answered to the warden. Now, that being so, the warden would have given Joseph extra privileges relative... I mean, you're a prisoner, Joseph, all right? You're a prisoner, but you'll get extra rations of food. You'll get... Because if Joseph is making the warden look good, you and I both know the warden was going to make Joseph's life a little bit easier than some of the other prisoners. So once again, things aren't going as bad as what you might think. Well, while in prison, God gave Joseph the interpretation of a couple of dreams, and that led to Joseph having a personal appearance before Pharaoh. And it wasn't just that he had that personal appearance. The warden took him and he said, man, you, you know, you got prison clothes on. You can't go to Pharaoh looking like that. So they got him all cleaned up. You know, gave him a shave, gave him a little bit of old spice to put on, gave him some nice clothes, and, you know, sent him to Pharaoh. So when he walks into Pharaoh's court, the guy looks maybe not like a million bucks, but he looks at least like, you know, a couple of hundred. <laughs> he looks pretty good. And while he's before Pharaoh, Pharaoh's telling him, here's what I had, the dreams and all this. And God gives Joseph the interpretation of these dreams. And the result was Pharaoh promoted Joseph to vice Pharaoh. And now he's over everything. Once again, he's, he's, he's living a good life. I mean, now as vice Pharaoh... Not only is he the vice Pharaoh, Pharaoh said, here, I'm giving you a good-looking lady for your wife. And he's, you talk about living it good, living large, having the best of the absolute best. That was Joseph. That's what he had. Now, what this means is, Joseph's life was not nearly as miserable as the way a lot of people want to preach it. He was sold into slavery, ended up in prison. No, wait a second. Read the story. His brothers sold him into slavery. They actually did him a favor. <laughs> He's not having to work as hard as he used to. And here's this young kid who's going from 17 and, and getting older and, and he's in his 20s and all this great stuff is happening to him. Why? Because he honored God. And not only did he honor God... Joseph's success under pagan leadership resulted in him being promoted because he did not rebel against the pagan leadership. Instead, what he did was keep God first in his life and he honored the pagan leadership no matter what they asked him to do until it came to maybe compromising his standard with God. Are you following this? 
And so therefore, Joseph, he's in a place where he doesn't want to be, but life is going great because he honors God. He didn't, sure, he didn't want to be sold into slavery. He didn't like what had happened, but once it happened, he's there with Potiphar, and when he gets sold to Potiphar, now get this, when he is sold to Potiphar, his attitude was, I'm going to do everything I can to bless my master. I'm going to do everything I can to see to it that his life is a good life. No matter what he does to me, no matter how he treats me, because Potiphar, when Potiphar bought him, he didn't sit down and say, you know what, there's a future for you, boy. No. (laughs) He didn't say that. Here's a slave. But yet, Joseph honored his master. And he honored God. And God blessed Joseph. And because of what Joseph did in service to God and in service to his master, God begins blessing Potiphar. And Potiphar knows the only reason this is happening is because of this kid right here. Well, Potiphar's wife made those accusations. And it says that Potiphar, you know, his wrath was kindled. But I kind of wonder if Potiphar sat back and was like, all of a sudden, he's doing this? I mean, come on, wife. Something doesn't seem right here. Well, anyway, won't get into all of that, but it kind of backed Potiphar into a corner. If he doesn't act, then it's looking bad on him because he's taking the word of a slave over his Egyptian wife. That's not going to work. So anyway, now here's Joseph. He's put in prison. But he maintains this attitude of, you know, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to serve God. And while I'm here, I'm going to honor the warden. Those who are over me in this prison, no matter what they do to me, no matter how they treat me, whether they feed me or they don't feed me, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure the warden has the best life possible. And as a result of that, Everything Joseph did worked out. The warden saw it. And the warden promoted Joseph. Well, then, here comes the audience before Pharaoh. This is the ultimate pagan leader. (laughs) And he's standing before Pharaoh. And once again, Joseph, he puts God first. And based on what we see in Scripture, his attitude would have been, I'm going before Pharaoh. I don't know everything that's going to happen. And maybe I'll get an interpretation for the dream. Maybe I won't. Um, but whatever he does, bottom line is this. You know, I'm going to honor him. He's Pharaoh. He's the leader. Even though he's not the kind of leader that I want over me, and he's got a lot of idols and so forth around here that I don't want to worship, he's still Pharaoh. And I'm going to honor him, and I'm going to respect him. And then God gives Joseph the interpretation. And Joseph... Didn't look at Pharaoh and say, so now what's in this for me? (laughs) No, he just gave him the interpretation. And Pharaoh bestowed the honor on Joseph. The rest of Joseph's life was easy peasy for him and his family. Why? Because he honored God in spite of the fact he was, quote, in captive to a pagan culture. Now, 
Here's what the Lord was showing me in this. As Christians, a lot of us, well, maybe not in this room, but there are Christians out there who truly believe by virtue of what they say and how they describe what's happening now in this country that they have been taken captive by a pagan leadership. That they are now, quote, enslaved by a pagan government that's going to do everything possible to eliminate whatever, whatever freedoms they have to preach the gospel, to live as Christians. And so a lot of Christians, by virtue of what they have shared in social media, they are not honoring God in any way, shape, or form. They are in rebellion to the government that they're calling pagan. All right, well, let's just look at it this way. According to the policies set forth by the current administration, there is a tremendous amount of paganism going on. All types of modern versions of, of uh, well, the worship of all kinds of Old Testament gods and so forth. I mean, it's going on. All right, it's going on. But it was going on in Egypt, too, at that time. Our responsibility is to put God first. And not only that, now listen, to be the best citizens we can be to honor our leaders, even if they do not honor God. Our responsibility is to do everything we can. Now, this is going to sound maybe kind of out there, but our responsibility is to do everything we can to see to it that our current president, Joe Biden, has the easiest life possible without compromising. Now, somebody might say, well, how in the world do you get it? We're supposed to be praying. I mean, what about, you know what? It's not about, we're not talking about the policies at this point. We're talking about the person. And there is a difference. Because that the person is not the policies. The person has embraced policies. Are you understanding the difference in this? So, yes. We're to take a stand in our prayers against the policies that they fail, that they flop, that they are an embarrassment, so on and so forth. But when it comes to the person, we are to be the best citizen we can for that person. The president, the vice president, whoever's in charge of whatever they're in charge of. We're supposed to follow this example of Joseph. And what we see Now, remember what happened with Joseph. This is before the law was given to the Jews. They weren't even called Jews at this time. That was, you know, hundreds of years later. The pattern we're seeing in here is this. God is telling us through Joseph, through this example, if you'll follow this pattern of Joseph, I will bless your life. Now, I don't know how those blessings will come about. And he's, now listen, God is not saying compromise beliefs. He's not saying compromise scripture. He's saying follow this pattern. Now Joseph was honoring God. You and I both know there's no way he would have been in agreement to worshiping this idol over here and sacrificing to that pagan thing this and he wouldn't have been in agreement with that. His focus was on God. We see that throughout here. That's the way it has to be for us. We may never have the opportunity to be um, in, the, in the Oval Office with President Biden or whatever other president comes along in the future. But if we have that opportunity, just like Joseph, 
We are to honor our president. Now, I can tell you what, if I had that opportunity, if I were in the Oval Office, I would respect him and I would do my best to show him the love of God. Because that's what he needs. He needs the love of God demonstrated to him. And not only would I do that, but I would offer to pray for him, his family. I, In fact, if it were possible, I would lay hands on him and pray for him. Because he needs to know that God loves him. He needs to know that Jesus died for him. He needs to see it demonstrated through somebody who calls himself a Christian. At least, they call themselves Christians, but on social media they're anything but. No, the president needs to see the reality of a changed life in others. He needs to see that. And this is where we have to follow this pattern of Joseph. There were times in Joseph's life where it was rough. When he was first sold into slavery. When he was first brought into Potiphar's house. Things weren't that great for him until he proved himself. When he was thrown in prison, things weren't that great for him until he proved himself. Until his faithfulness to God enabled God to bless his life and to bless his actions. And then Joseph ended up having a much better life. See... In the midst of what we now see as what some people are calling, this is the worst time in the history of the United States. Okay, you know what? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. But even in the worst time, we can still serve the best God. Do you understand what I'm saying? And we can still have a good life without compromising our standards. The key is we don't be belligerent we don't rise up and name call and do all this. We honor and we respect the way that God wants us to. We follow this pattern of Joseph. This could change the course of this nation. The problem is you've got too many Christians. Man, who knows what kind of response I'll get from this. Who knows what kind of emails and feedback I'll get. You know, Who do you think you are? Why we can't do this? Well, you're saying that we're to go along. No, I'm not. You don't come into agreement with the wrong. You stand for the right, but you honor the way that God says to honor in His Word. You pray for the President, even if that's the, the closest that we can come to being with Him. We lift Him up. And the Vice President, we lift up the... I mean, guys, if we don't do it, who will? If we don't do this, if we don't pray, if we don't call, call their names out before the Lord, if we don't do this... Who's going to? You know, the people out there that, that are the lukewarm, the backslidden Christians, they're not. God is counting on us. And, and this pattern right here, guys, I'm telling you, we follow this pattern, it's going to go better for us than what a lot of people think. And I praise God for that. He honors His Word. Well, why don't you go ahead and stand?